This is A Voice, a podcast with Dr. Gillian Kayes and Jeremy Fisher. This is A Voice. Hello and welcome to Podcast 13 and he's back. We had so many questions about the SOVT and we should say that uh, Oren Boda, who's our guest today, uh, Gillian and I did a course last Saturday, which was the SOVT workshop, which was actually amazing. Yes. And we have had a barrel load of questions, which we decided to make this podcast the SOVT AMA Part 2. So thank you. First of all, um, Oren, you were our first uh, podcast guest and yes. you're also another first is that you've been our first um, pop-up, pop-up workshop, workshop guest yes. as yes. well. <laughs> yeah. So welcome to the podcast. And Ooh. we have, we're we going to go straight in. We have so many. Oh, no, you've, you've got a thing. I haven't given him a chance to speak yet, but can I just give, <laughs> you, can I just give you some feedback? Um, which is uh, about the course. Uh, thank you so much for arranging, arranging that. So many things to go away and work on. Despite the rain, I bounced back into the house and gushed a load of things at the husband. He now looks shell-shocked and doesn't really understand anything I've just said. <laughs> and we'd like to give a I personal... think that's good feedback. We'd like to give a personal apology to Grace's husband. <laughs> Great. Hello. How are you? Yeah, hello. Uh, good, actually. I'm still kind of buzzing from the other day. It was really fun. Yeah. Um, and I think the the types of questions and the types of ideas that everybody was having is going to be so cool and interesting to discuss today. Yes. I think, you know, what uh, I was, I've been thinking about it, obviously, since Saturday. And although there is scientific research and also quite a lot of theoretical research into how SOVT works. We're really only at the beginning of what it means to put it into practice in different situations in, yep. in singing, teaching and voice use. We know something about therapeutic voice work, but we don't know a lot about purposing it in singing, teaching. So I feel in a way that the course that you've created and what you're doing is really contributing to that and yes. that, that we need an army of people out there now to sort of go out, try things mm. out and start collating that info, yeah. which for me mm. as a researcher is hugely exciting. Yay. Okay. Um, we have, uh, people have been submitting questions in all sorts of ways. We had questions on email, we've had them on Facebook and we've had some of our speakpipe.com slash vocal process uh, people have been using that, which means we actually get to hear their voices, and we got uh, four or five of those. So I want to go straight to... Can, should we ask Oren first to do a, a very quick definition of what SOVT is? What do we mean by that? Okay, you've got yeah. 30 seconds. Go. Okay. Uh, <laughs> SOVT, so semi-occluded vocal tract, basically means that there is some kind of partial occlusion, partial closure... Uh, at any point along the vocal tract above the vocal folds. That partial closure creates really cool little physics tricks and interactions that sends air pressure and acoustic energy backwards to reinteract with the vocal folds. Basically, we're just recycling all of the energies that we've outputted so we can reuse that for our benefit when doing other singing tasks. Right? It's like regenerative braking. Great. It is yeah. like regenerative yes. braking. We've yes. got ourselves an electric... just got a new EV. We've got an, a new EV, and I am loving the yes. regenerative braking. It makes so thing. much sense. Yes. So much sense. Love that. 
Um, there you are. There's a new. Is it that one's an analogy for you? In, yes. in addition yeah. to your soft clothes cupboards. Yes. Yes. Soft yes. Clothes we'll have yeah. soft clothes cupboards in a minute. <laughs> we will indeed. Um, so technically, pretty much anything above the vocal folds can be an SOVT device. So it could be the mm. back of the tongue. It mm. could be the lips. Mm. It could be the soft palate. It could be anything. And where we're looking at now is the difference between active and passive SOVT. Mm. So talk to us about that. Mm. Yeah. So. Um, it's probably easier to explain the, the passive stuff first. So passive is just by using some kind of um, device or tube or straw uh, that is independent from the body that you place at the level of the lips. Um, and so you haven't really got to do anything physical except for just gently sealing the lips around whatever it is that you're using. Yeah. Active then is kind of all of those things that you've just kind of explored there. It's the other stuff that you can physically manually manipulate uh, about your um, anatomy uh, and articulators and all that kind of stuff. Yes. Yeah, and I think one of the neat things you said in the workshop was that, in fact, it's easier for us to control the passive form, the the sort of the variables there, because it's yeah. we don't always get, you know, enough biomechanical feedback about what we're doing internally. Mm. Yeah, exactly. And mm. it's, it's also more reliable mm. to use something like passive because you you can always come back to and use the same length or diameter or whatever of straw mm. whereas when you try and reposition the things that you do actively you know you might have a slightly different tongue position or a slightly different mm. mouth shape yeah. so it's harder to be more reliable with the effects that you want to yeah. receive yes okay yes. Cool. Yeah, absolutely all right well i've been using um straws empirically for ooh, i don't know about three or four years and I'm sure lots of other singing teachers have been doing so as well. And I, I hope that these questions that are coming up are going to help mm. with understanding and giving people ideas. Mm. So I'm going to start with Monia. Monia de Swart uh, said, my biggest question is how to get my students from straw work to actual singing. Mm -hmm. Even with the humming and singing the melody with the straw, it still seems such a big gap when articulation comes in. And in fact, she was not the only person No, we had something similar from, from Franca, Franca on Speak In fact, yes. let me play Franca's because it's very similar. Mm. My first question would be how to go from straw phonation, either in water or not, to actual singing. And what happens with the effort? Because when you go back to normal singing, uh, there is more effort needed. Yeah, we might have to unpack that from yes. Franca. But what's, what's interesting is the basic question is, how do you go from straw phonation to singing... Well, let's start with how do you go from straw phonation to singing vowels? Okay, so do you want to start, Oren? Because we've got thoughts as mm. well, obviously. Yeah, so I think what I would do is work with straws and then begin to interchange between straw work, vowel work, straw work, vowel work, straw work, vowel work. And so you kind of put put the normal stuff in the middle of where of, of the straws. Mm. Um, and so you kind of create that environment, then you do the work without the straw with that environment still persistent and you bring the straw in. Um, I would initially start with that. I think that I think there's a lot of other things to bring into it. I have a feeling 
Jeremy, you might have some different th- differences there. But I, uh, yeah, it'll be interesting. No, not at all. No, I think what you're talking about is comparison. Mm, and I think comparison yes. is absolutely vital. Yeah. Um, we do a lot of exercises where we go from speaking setup to singing setup and singing setup to speaking setup yeah. because mm. you're doing comparison all mm. the time. And I'm thinking when you're doing, I want to break this down really finely. Mm-hmm. Um, let's say that you have a particular phrase that you want to sing. Mm-hmm. in a song and we're taking the straw for nation now away from warm-ups and we're putting them into actual practice mm. yeah um so the first thing that you do is you have done a warm-up with the straw or mm-hmm. you've been working with the straw just over your range generally to get the balance that you want mm-hmm. just into in a sort of general balance terms then you sing the well you so you hesitate to use the word hum. Yes. We had this conversation. I hesitate to use the word hum because hum normally means a nasal consonant. You vocalise into the straw. Thank you. So just, just to break that down, sometimes if you hum, uh, you almost certainly hum on a nasal consonant, which means the door into the nose is open. Mm. And you don't want that when you're doing straw work because it will bifurcate the airflow. And you don't want that. You want all the air coming down the straw. Okay, so you um, phonate down the straw at pitch. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you sing down the straw. In your target phrase. In the target phrase. And what you're listening for feeling is a balance mm. in yes. that particular phrase. You then take the straw out and reproduce the feeling, the balance, the volume without the straw. And then you go put the straw back in and do the same thing, take it out and do the same thing. Mm. Now, we're on vowels at the moment. It's, mm. It can be a single vowel mm. on a phrase like that so that you have a really direct comparison. Mm. That's how I go about with vowels, and we'll talk about consonants in Yes, a and I think as a teacher as well, in between, if I was introducing the technique to a student, I would be saying, does it feel different as you move from uh, singing the song in your normal way to singing through the straw to singing from with the straw and then into vowels? What feels different? So to get mm. the student to articulate that difference um, in their own words so mm. they can start to reproduce that. It is a kind of reprogramming. And I think the contrast and compare phase, which frankly mm. is something we do all the time in mm. our teaching anyway, as Jeremy said, I think that's the empirical bit that the teacher has got to be prepared to do and to notice you know if this if the student says actually that feels harder Mm. or it feels tight down here that might be a time when you actually change the width of the straw but i'm Mm -hmm. sure we'll come up to that later i think following from that as well um jeremy i know we had a conversation the other day about potentially creating the shapings of the vowel sounds Mm -hmm. whilst keeping the straw in place Mm -hmm. Um, obviously, you're kind of mitigating the the effects of, of how the mouth is going to articulate things, but I think you can get a very good representation, and potentially that is another good way to go, is to really just try and train those shapings whilst having the efficiency of the straw. I would maybe even consider that as a precursor to the comparison phase. Mm. Um, That's really just as like an extra layer. Yeah, yeah, I like that. Do you know, I haven't tried that myself, so mm. I, that's going to be in, in my next session. There's something <laughs> I want to pick up um, because what we're oh. suggesting is that you do it from the straw to the singing and not from your standard singing to the straw because there's a question that's coming up, and mm. it's actually Franca's third question, she is 73, um, where we, we talk about that a little bit more. 
Um, mm. But I think what's interesting is, for me, you get the balance down the straw first, and then you match the singing without the straw to the balance. Yes, I think that's really important. Mm. So you think you are forming the vowels internally mm. if you're bringing the vowels in. And by and large, vowels are made with different shapes of the tongue, so that's that's fine. There's maybe a little bit of uh or ooishness because mm. of the lip position. Mm. But, yeah, I think that's a very good interim step. By the Neat. way, I was practising yesterday, and I was practising. I didn't realise that's what I was practising, but I ended up doing um, improving my uh, harmonics singing, my overtone singing, which is I actually mm. started to get really mm -hmm. clear overtones by singing, by doing a different vowel shapes down the straw. Mm. Oh, interesting. That's yeah. cool. What, what kind of straw were you using? Um, I am on, at that point, I think I was on a seven inch. I thought a seven, seven inch. Seven. Hello. Seven. This is <laughs> Have a, seven, a very large seven mouth. Millimeter. <laughs> seven, <laughs> seven millimeter straw. Um, I normally stick with the 10 millimeter because I like it the most, mm. but actually um, the 10 didn't work as well. So I think I was on a seven. Mm. I'm loving the seven at the moment. Interesting. Mm. So, um, just a, a quick interim question from me, really. I was thinking about the you know, the acoustic effects, uh, effects of working with a straw. We don't get that benefit when we're working with a straw in water, though, do we? Because although water does tra transmit sound, we're not getting mm. that lovely toing and froing of the acoustic sound wave within the, the tube. Uh, I'm right on that, aren't I? Yeah, the the thing about the water is it kind of acts as like a little bit of like a, a muffler. Yeah. It, the, the second you direct that acoustic energy down into the water, you kind of just dilute it and dissipate it. Mm. Um, and so you don't you don't get a lot of the resonant boosts as a result of just using the tube external from the water. Um, but also with that, just over the last couple of days, I was really thinking about material properties. Mm. Typically, the, the, the kind of things you do with water um, are with potentially like a silicon tube that's maybe a bit wider. And the silicon itself isn't going to allow for those sounds um, and that acoustic energy to bounce around within. Yeah. It's going to kind of absorb it. Whereas something like a stainless steel or a plastic that's a bit more reflective will allow for those boosts. Mm -hmm. So material properties, I think, play quite a big difference when you're talking about acoustic. Mm. I'm, I'm glad you've raised that. Um, and just for those who are watching on YouTube, I, I waved a Dr. Vox at everybody mm. at that point, which is a silicon tube. And of course, this one is um, Oren's lovely um, high-grade steel. Is that right? It is. I'm yep. wondering if we could go to Pippa's question next, because yes. she had a very interesting question. Yes. Um, so Pippa says, yeah. when I'm singing through the Obi-Wan straw, which is the straw that Gillian's holding at the moment, I sometimes hear a stream of air as well as my voice through the mm -hmm. straw. I don't normally hear this air using straws made of other material. I can eliminate this air noise if I don't blow as hard. Could it be the material or am I just blowing too hard? Okay. Yes. Great There's question. a few things happening here. Yes. Um, the... Talking about the physics very quickly of what's happening with our straw compared to others, um, a normal straw, you just have a unrestricted fixed length that air can flow through. Yeah. Um, with ours, we have a range of uh, contracted sections and expansions. And we know that as air moves to an area that is smaller, so if it moves from a high area to a low area, the speed of that air is going to increase. Um, 
And so you kind of have slow, then fast, then slow, then fast, then slow, then fast. And those rapid changes, I mean, in essence, create almost like a whistle-like effect. Mm. So that's one of the the components. It might be that it's just um, a phenomena of the way the air is just moving through the tube. On top of that, then, if you are slightly, uh, if you have slightly high pressure to begin with. Mm the the overall airspeed is going to be increasing. When it comes to those contracted sections, it's, the air is going to be moving faster, which creates more of that whistle. I mean, it's basically the same way as, as you whistling with the lips. It's really um, interesting because I started experimenting. I did the same. Yeah, so. with, yeah. uh, with, with <laughs> having said that, and I'm actually going to do a little experiment you on microphone. You share yours, I'll share mine. Okay. <laughs> um, and I want to do it with, um, with your straw and a standard plastic one, which I think... Think it's like a seven. seven. Mm-hmm. Okay. Mm-hmm. So um, I'll do it with the. No, I'll do it with yours first. Um, hang on, I have to take the yes, end off. It's a little super too strong for me. Yes. <laughs> so um, what was interesting is that I started with the air sound and then brought voice in to see what I could do. Uh huh. So this is interesting. The air sound carries on the whole time. Yeah. Um, and I wondered whether I was actually doing a slightly breathy sound so that the, the closure at vocal fold level was a little loose. So I thought, yeah. what would happen if I closed a little stronger? And the answer is the sound goes down. So the breathy yeah. sound diminishes. Mm-hmm. Could I then get an, a completely unbreathy sound. I mean, basically, can we lose the sound of the breath turbulence at all? And I thought, oh, we've got to try this. Okay. Now, what I started to play around with was my tongue position. Mm. And I discovered that if I've got a deeper tongue position, I get more air turbulence. And if I've got a high-fronted tongue, I get less air turbulence. I don't know what that means, okay. but it works every time. Okay. Um, I'm going to pitch in. Um, I know that Pippa's a classical singer, so I did a bit of, you know, sort of lyrical singing down the wide straw, well, uh, the sort of round this end here. Mm. I can hear air. Mm. Now, if I do... Which is my non-lyrical voice, I don't hear any air. That's your M1. The other thing I found was that when I used... um, This is a a biodegradable straw. This is my lyrical. I didn't get so much hiss, I thought... And yeah. for me, I think it's to do with the position of the lips that this is a bit heavier. And what I found was that I wasn't actually puckering in the same way. So that might be a factor to look at. Mm. Yeah, I th- yeah that's, that's so interesting. I think that there's a couple of other things also going on here that p- potentially compound all of that. The With ours, because of the way the sections are connected together... Um, essentially, we have a, a connector piece here and a connector piece here. If, depending on on the flow, there is a chance that air can leak through these sections, which might create that sound. 
I think it's minimal. If you're like super high pressure, then you're probably going to get a little bit more leakage. But I think the other probably more interesting thing that might be happening is I wonder if we are... I wonder if the material itself is boosting the sound of the airstream mm -hmm. in addition to the other harmonics uh, at play. Possibly. This is what I was wondering, if you were getting mm. a kind of an acoustic artifact from, yeah. from mm. the material uh, and that you shouldn't really worry about it, I, d I don't think. But it, I was so interested when I saw Pippa's question because mm. yeah. I know her singing and I thought, well, this is not a singer who sings with a lot of air. Mm. She's got great control. And I found when I sang in my classical voice, I had exactly the same effect with the metal straw. Mm. So um, we are something we, to notice. We've been talking about... Ge it's um, just a geeky thing. Yes. Yeah. We've been talking about the Obi-Wan straw. And for those of you who aren't watching on, on YouTube but are listening to the podcast, I just want to describe it. I want you to imagine a little telescope because the telescope expands and contracts. Uh, you pull it out to see further and you push mm. it in to, to not to see as far mm. or when it's when it's at rest. And this one has got three sections which are um, get slightly bigger as they go down to the end. Well, I say the end, but you can blow down both ends of it. Can you hold Not it at up? the same time, but I can, oh, um, this, is, this is the YouTube. This is uh, Obi-Wan Straw. Mm. And in fact, this one has uh, a, a little uh, piece that goes on the end, which also gives you more possibilities. Yeah. But the interesting thing about the Obi-Wan Straw is because it is wider at one end than it is at the other, if you blow down from the narrower to the wider end, you get less back pressure. Yeah, and if you blow from the wider end down to the narrower end, you get more back well, pressure. Well, the back pressure will increase yeah. as it goes along it's and then... specifically yeah. because the tube yeah. gets narrower. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. And in fact, uh, obviously, because it's expandable, you can pull it out to its full length, which will also increase the resistance, and you can uh, reduce it to, in fact, its shortest length, which will make the resistance slightly lower. Yeah. So, in fact, you have a lot of different variations. Are we going to attempt to define back pressure? <gasps> Let's. Shall we go there? Let's talk about back pressure. Yeah. In fact, hang on, somebody sent a question. We've got some great questions about that. We did. It was... Oh, was it Lorraine? No, it was, was it... Monia. Yeah. Right. Monia again. She said, oh, and another one. I have trouble formulating this question, so I hope you get what I mean. Maybe I'm completely on the wrong path here. I'm sort of struggling with this whole subglottal pressure, airflow, back pressure thing. Some students find it really hard to feel the difference between airflow and air pressure slash subglottal pressure. They just record a sensation in their abdominal muscles and can't really tune into the feeling of the larynx. What do you think would be good SOVT exercises to differentiate between them? Is it just using different straw widths and lengths? Because obviously breathing through a wider straw means less back pressure, so I'm sure it would also have an effect on the airflow and the subglottal pressure. Okay. Really great question. Okay, there's a lot there. <laughs> there's a lot. There is um, a lot there to unpack. Yeah, she's a very experienced teacher and singer. Yes. I don't have the question in front of me. Can you give me the bullet point rundown again? Absolutely. Because <laughs> there's a lot to unpack. What's the difference between airflow, air pressure, subglottal pressure, and how would the students feel it? Okay. Um, so when we're talking about 
let's just quickly clarify flow for a second. So okay. flow, uh, flow is basically just the movement of air, yep. um, and it can be at varying speeds. Yes. Typically, and I say typically, the pressure and flow are they they kind of track each other. If you increase the pressure, it is likely that you will also increase the flow. I'm saying likely because it's not an exclusive. You can have a lower pressure but a greater flow. Um, so we're kind of going, you know, on the typical here. So then, you know, the pressure is the... How do I easily explain pressure? I can, I can come in at some point because I've got some ideas. I have some exercises that people well, can feel it. I'm, I, okay, I am going to come in here because okay, sure. I want to. I want to separate things out. Okay, as yeah. far as I'm concerned, flow is mainly controlled by the lungs, mm -hmm. which is the amount and speed of air that comes up to the vocal folds. Mm -hmm. Pressure is a combination of that flow and how much the vocal folds resist it. And when people talk about subglottal pressure, it's actually mm. the measure of the pressure just underneath, just the below folds. the vocal folds, which can only be measured directly by having um, a tube put in through the trachea, which has been done in uh, research. You. You, um, but it can also be measured at the lips with, um, typically in, in the Swedish research, they use the sound pa, pa. Mm. So they measure the changes between the, um, the unvoiced amount of air used to further the mm -hmm. unvoiced and then moving in, into voice. And all of that is um, noted in uh, a, a mm. massive collection of research. Can we can break this down even more? Absolutely. Yeah. I don't think in in the explanation you just gave about pressure I don't think it's exclusive to flow you can you can have you can increase the pressure without having any movement of air um which is interesting really? because then how do you do that so I'm thinking about um I'm thinking about Pascal here yeah. in that if you have a change in pressure at one point of the system, it is equal at all points of the system without necessarily there being a need for any flow of air. So you, you can essentially, you can close off oh, yeah, okay. a system, yes. pressurize it, but no air is moving. You're just reducing the volumatic space but you're not allowing the air to flow outward. You're definitely not allowing the air to flow outwards. That's really interesting because you said reduce the volumatic space. And my my a translation before you said that was yes, you're closing, let's say, the vocal folds or the lips, mm. whichever, you know, which whichever. And then you're building pressure up underneath. But in order to build up pressure underneath, you have to actually make the air move. Now, what you're saying is that the air doesn't move, but you're reducing the volumatic space to increase the pressure of air inside, for instance, the lungs or the, or the throat. Mm. Yes. Oh, we're, we're on to full science again, aren't we? Oh, you can yes. do it. You can do it. Um, See, the, this is the interesting thing, because mm -hmm. if you just close your lips and you don't do that, the air doesn't move and nothing happens. You Literally, mm. you've just got nothing. You've got a closed, a closed canister, but, if but, you like. Can I just mm. show you something? This is not recommended, listeners. 
Um, <laughs> take a breath in and close your glottis. Yes. Hold your breath. Yeah. So now we have the same lung volume and the glottis is closed. Yeah. And now push up with the abdominal content. So you're pushing mm. the diaphragm. So you're making the chamber smaller and thereby increasing the pressure Absolutely. underneath so the then glottis. Are, is that are we what then you meant? Say, yeah. So are we then saying flow is um, the movement of a volume of air from one place to another, um, whereas we're, this here we're talking about a, essentially now a closed system mm. where the volume of air is the same, um, but we are essentially compressing it to pressurise it, yes. mm. although air is incompressible, so there's an issue there, but the idea is the same. Um, we're compressing the chamber. Uh, okay, yeah. we are actually talking about exactly the same thing. It's just I'm looking at the air and what it does, mm. and you guys sure. are looking at the canister and what it does. Sure, But it yes. is exactly the same thing. Well, what I yeah. went with was Oren's idea that when we've closed the system, yeah. now obviously when we're vocalising, the system is always open in some way, mm. which is where I think Ohm's law comes into play. But The reason um, that I'm, the reason, as a singer... The reason that mm. I'm, I'm interested in this is because you can set your vocal folds vibrating and then you can make your air travel faster. Mm -hmm. That's flow. Mm -hmm. And in a way, that's not to do with resistance. It's not mm. to do with subglottal pressure. Mm. The subglottal pressure is a result of it rather mm. than an action. And actually, if you don't, if you keep the subglottal pressure the same and you increase the, the flow speed, you start to blow your vocal folds apart and you are more likely to get a breathy sound. Yes. But then you'll also decrease the pressure at the lung level as a result. Yes. Quite more rapidly. More rapidly. Yes. Yes. We are talking the same thing. Yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. No, yeah, 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 yeah. Well, that's yeah, yeah. good. Yeah. It's one of those different yeah. sides. It is. Can it I is. move into practical? Because we're, we're all having a lot sure. of time. Um, <laughs> yeah. First of all, I think one of my responses to you, Munya, would be, well, yes, it is hard to feel subglottal pressure yeah. because we're not really meant to be feeling things at vocal fold level. Yeah. Uh, you know, we're not, our, our neural system isn't set up to do that although we can build in proprioceptive feedback. Mm. So a typical way I would do it to not stress the system too much would be to get people to close their lips and puff up their cheeks. Yep. Mm -hmm. If you close your lips and allow your cheeks to puff up, as Gillian is demonstrating beautifully now... Uh, like what, a blowfish. Yeah, what happens? You feel pressure behind your lips. Right. So you feel that sense of back pressure. If you then start mm. to make a little hole in your lips, I hope I'm not going to make a fart noise, but we'll see. <laughs> Welcome to vocal process. <laughs> vocal farts, these are. Yeah. Now, I'm obviously not vocalising yet, but I think mm. this is where the, um, you know, the puffy cheeks exercises come from mm -hmm. uh, that you'll read about in Janice Chapman's book where you're doing... And you can do degrees of puffiness. Mm -hmm. So with if I wanted more flow from my students, I would get them to puff up their cheeks quite a lot. If I wanted less flow for someone who was maybe more of a CCM singer, I would I just say pouty lips. Mm -hmm. And I find that that balances the pressure and flow better. So, Monia, maybe you would try that first because students can feel that. Mm -hmm. 
And then you can, what, what you've done then is you've raised a bit of awareness from them. And then when you start to use the straws, you can ask them to say, well, does, is that giving you, do you feel that's giving you um, more backflow, more back pressure or less mm. back pressure? Mm. Uh, and just use the words that seem to make sense to your student. And I want to go to um, another bit that she said in the question, which is they just that her students just record a sensation in their abdominal muscles and they yeah. don't tend to focus on the larynx. And the abdominal muscle thing is a byproduct. If mm. you have, um, well, in fact, you can all do it. But if it's you, a much stronger sensation. That's the problem. Yeah. If, if you yeah. Um, close your lips completely so you, you're closing everything and then you try and push air out what's happening is that you are working against resist a lot of resistance mm. as in there is no exit and your abdominal muscles then kick in to try and work harder to push something mm. out and they are big muscles so that you're much more likely to feel those than you are the much smaller ones mm. Mm. Okay. good right well that was fun that was a long okay. answer where are we going next <laughs> I think a lot of singing teachers will relate to that question. Um, this has been so amazing and so intense. We actually think we're going to have to split this into two. So I'm going to just say thank you to Oren just for this one. There will be another episode out with the rest of what we're talking about coming out soon. To be continued. To be continued. This is A Voice, a podcast with Dr Gillian Kays and Jeremy Fisher.